You're listening to Friendlier, the podcast for friends who love to talk, read, and eat. I'm Abby. And I'm Sarah. Today, we're going to talk about our experiences with therapy. But first, let's catch up on life lately. What's new with you, Abby? I have been doing some fall planting around our house. Mm. We had front beds that had been planted by our builders that had Mm -hmm. some very sad azaleas and very sad boxwoods and not much else there. And I had sort of added a few things here and there, but I trimmed the boxwoods way back. I got several purple and pink and blue things that will flower and be good for pollinators. And I moved the two azaleas that were less sad to the side of our house where we have two other azaleas. So hopefully we'll get some azaleas going along the side, but then Mm -hmm. have like a pink and purple and blue butterfly bush, lantana speedwell situation in the front and then Mm -hmm. I mulched it and you know mulching makes everything look amazing even if they're small tiny plants so I'm really excited it looks really good and then I also got strawberry plants and Mm -hmm. blackberry canes that I planted in the back of our house we have a slope Mm -hmm. going down to our alley and I put a strawberry patch out there and then did three blackberry canes along our fence so hopefully they can grow along our fence And then I also moved a small volunteer oak tree that had grown in the front bed to the back. So Mm -hmm. eventually we'll have an oak tree back there. And I am just really loving it. I'm very impressed and inspired. Not to the point where I'm going to get it together to do what you've done, but (laughs) maybe in a year's time I will. But for now, I'm going to really look forward to seeing photos of your situation. I will post some on Instagram so people can see. Perfect. What's new with you, Sarah? I have been doing a lot of (laughs) push-ups. Tell me more. (laughs) So Orange Theory has this competition twice a year called the Dry Try, where you do a 2,000-meter row, 300 bodyweight exercises, and then run a 5K on Mm. the treadmill. Okay. So I did that for the first time in September, and the thing that slowed me down the most were the push-ups. You have to do two sets of 20 in that section. And I could do them, but very, very slowly and having to take breaks. And I was like, you know what's going to improve my time? Learning how to do push-ups much better than what I'm currently doing. <laughs> Love it. I looked online for a push-up program, mm. found one, and have been doing five sets of push-ups three times a week following said program. I have already improved from doing 10 in a row as my max to now I'm in the mid-20s. So I'm feeling very strong, making progress. And it's just been really fun to have this physical challenge where you Uh can see yourself improving. I am really loving it. Highly recommend push-ups for fun. (laughs) (laughs) I love that there is a program out there that teaches you how to do push-ups better. I feel like Mm -hmm. I could benefit from that as well. (laughs) Neil is very skeptical because the program actually says that it can teach you to do 100 push-ups in a row in six weeks. And he thinks that is not true, which agree. (laughs) (laughs) I will not be doing 100 push-ups at the end of six weeks, but I am making a lot of progress and feel like that is a win in and of itself. Absolutely. Now let's move into what we've been reading. Abby, what is your latest book? I just listened to State of Terror by Hillary Clinton and Louise Penny. This is a thriller focused on a new female secretary of state and the trials Mm -hmm. and tribulations of a world with nuclear weapons. I have not read much Tom Clancy or like born identity type stuff, but 
that's the vibe Mm -hmm. I imagine that this would have, except I loved that it was from this female perspective. Mm -hmm. The friendship between the Secretary of State and her main advisor, who's a grade school friend of hers, she's allowed to apparently Mm -hmm. bring on one advisor who doesn't have political experience, but is just going to be like her pal. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is real. I mean, that's the other thing that's fun about reading it. You're like, this is a person who's co-writing this who was an actual secretary of state. Right. And then thinking about what part did she contribute versus what Mm -hmm. part did Louise Penny contribute. And it becomes clear when you read it. Mm -hmm. That's clearly from Louise Penny. And Mm -hmm. only a real secretary of state would have known this. But then there are other gray areas where it's like really fun to think about and fun to think about them being friends and the process of them writing it. I don't know if you have seen these pictures, but I think maybe on Facebook or on Instagram, Hillary Clinton posted pictures of her and Louise Penny just cheesing together, basically, like just being pals. Love it. I just really found it delightful. Also, the audiobook is read by Joan Allen, which was really good. So I would recommend this. It was very compelling. And I hope that they're going to write more, which it seems Mm. like hopefully they will. Yeah. I can't wait to read it. What have you been reading, Sarah? I read the novel 123 by Lori Frankel, and this is the author of This Is How It Always Is, which was really popular a couple years ago, and both of us read that and loved it. This novel is set in a small working-class New England community, and it alternates perspectives between three teenage triplets. Before they were born, a chemical company opened a factory in their town and poisoned the water. And so this novel explores the aftermath of that. I loved everything about it. There were great characters, really thoughtful explorations of parenting and disability, corporate power and greed, and why people make the choices that we do. When you're faced with really horrible options, how do you choose which direction to go? Hmm. It's one of the best novels I've read this year. I'm still thinking about it and turning over different scenes and storylines, which is always the mark of a good book. If you liked This Is How It Always Is, I think you would also really like this. It has the same earnest tone, which doesn't always work for me if it comes across as too sickly sweet, but I thought she struck the perfect balance here, and I would give it 10 out of 10. Love that. Let's move into our topic for today, which is therapy. What were your experiences or impressions of therapy growing up? My mom is a psychologist who has a counseling practice in Dallas. So I have been around it Mm -hmm. my whole life and have had a mostly positive impression of therapy. I think I went to therapy once or twice as a kid, but didn't find it particularly helpful then. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure if I didn't find the right person or if... I wasn't ready to do the work of change, and that was more of like a parent-driven thing. Right. But despite those, I would say, sort of mediocre experiences, I still had a positive impression of therapy. Yeah. What about you? I would say my impressions were fairly neutral. I didn't know of anyone who went to therapy, so I think I had this idea that it was for other people, but not for me. I didn't Hmm. think it was bad that people were going to therapy. It just wasn't part of my world, and I didn't see it as part of my world. Hmm. I also think that regardless of what was happening around me, 
I had a negative impression because I do not like the idea of sharing my feelings with someone I don't know or trust. Mm. So the mm-hmm. concept of therapy was not something that was immediately appealing to me. It felt like, ooh, I don't know that I want to spill my innermost thoughts with some random person. And I certainly don't want to pay money to do that. Yeah, I think that's a pretty common impression from a lot of people. Yeah. When did you first do therapy yourself? I saw one of the therapists at Hendrix a few times, Mm -hmm. maybe over the course of like six weeks or something to deal with a specific issue. But I started going regularly to a therapist at the Wellness Center at Vanderbilt during the first year of graduate school. I didn't start until we had moved to Bloomington. I think well before that, I had seen the benefit of therapy in the lives of friends and family, and I thought that it would be a good idea, but the cost was such a huge barrier. Mm. We never had insurance that covered it, and the idea of spending over $100 a session when I might not even connect with the person or find it valuable, especially since I hadn't done therapy before, it felt like it was a big risk and stopped me from pursuing it when I was at the point where I think I would have benefited. And then there was this whole other logistical piece to work through. But I started a couple years after we moved here, there was a specific issue that I felt like I needed to process. I really like to talk about things over and over. (laughs) That's why we're friends. (laughs) It is. And this particular subject was hard for Neil to process with me as much as I needed to, which was completely fair. So therapy was a really great outlet to work through it and keep our marriage healthy. And I saw that person off and on for a few months and had a generally positive experience. Nice. What is your current therapy situation? I am currently on an extended hiatus from my longtime North Carolina therapist. When we left North Carolina, I thought that I would not see her again. And then Mm -hmm. the pandemic came. And so I started seeing her again because the restrictions on counseling people not in your state were relaxed. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually really a gift to have that sort of transition to being in Birmingham while there was so much going on in the world. But right now I'm feeling that That is not support that I am in need of. I am not sure that when I am feeling like I want therapy again, if I will go back to her or find someone here. I think it's more Mm -hmm. likely that I'll find somebody here and hopefully be able to go in person again Yeah, at some point because I do like that. I mean, I think virtual therapy can really be great and it was great for me, Mm -hmm. especially during the pandemic, but I do like that in-person interaction. Same. I am currently seeing somebody I started this summer. I have some health decisions that I need to be making and felt like I wanted to process that in a more neutral space than just with friends and family, though friends and family will know that they have also been a place that I go to talk about this. And it has only been virtual. I've wondered if that has contributed to how I'm feeling about it, which is it's fine. I don't feel negatively about it, but It does feel harder to have that connection Mm -hmm. through a screen, especially with somebody new. Yeah, someone you haven't met in person. I think one Mm -hmm. reason the virtual therapy worked for me is because I had this long-standing relationship with my North Carolina therapist that had been in person. And I took my kids when they were babies. I took them along with me to therapy. So she Mm -hmm. knew so many parts of me that just 
starting with some random person on a screen may be <laughs> less effective. Yeah. Have you ever had a therapist that you didn't connect with? And how did you handle that? Yes, this has happened to me a few times because I am a therapy consumer in many <laughs> venues. <laughs> so I've tried a lot of therapy with different folks. So in graduate school, Andrew and I saw a therapist for marriage counseling who was really young and maybe hadn't even been in a long-term relationship before. Mm. And the reason that happened is because we were going through the Student Wellness Center. So mm -hmm. we did an intake interview with a more experienced person who then assigned us, I think, to one of their people who was in training. Right. Thinking these people are basically healthy people. They're open to therapy. So here, let's give them to this new therapist and mm -hmm. probably they can both help each other. But we had one session and then we called the person who had done our intake interview. We were like, this is not going to work. <laughs> mm -hmm. And she ended up being our therapist instead. So th that was a nice switch. And we had another great therapist there after our intake person who was there had left. And then when I first moved to North Carolina, I tried seeing a therapist who was really close to my house, like I could walk. Mm -hmm. And she was interested in mindfulness and things that I was interested in. But wow, it was really not a good personality fit. Mm -hmm. You know, she was older. And I have always connected better with therapists who are more in my same mm -hmm. life stage or thereabouts. And I don't know if that's something that will change or if that's just me, but this was not a fit. <laughs> I think I went a few times and was always feeling way worse after therapy, which I think, you mm -hmm. know, after therapy, sometimes you feel worse because it's a right. lot to process things, but it was significantly bad. And so I had a, an appointment scheduled. I called, I canceled it, and I said, I'm not going to come back. I would like to seek someone who could also prescribe medication, which was a lie. I didn't go on medication until <laughs> last year, but that's how I got out of that one. It does feel hard to be totally honest about what didn't work, right? Because sometimes what doesn't work, it's not even that someone's doing something wrong. It's just not a good fit. Yeah. And I couldn't even really pinpoint it myself. Mm-hmm. Because I would like to give feedback if it's going to be helpful, but I was right. such a mess that I couldn't even tell her why I hated it, but I just knew I hated it. Yeah. And that is fair. And I think most therapists respect that and know that they can't be a good therapist for every person. Totally. I also had a less than positive experience shortly after my cancer diagnosis. I saw the therapist I had been seeing, which was great. But she had recommended some folks who specialize more in therapy for folks with cancer. Mm, mm -hmm. And I went and it was not a good fit. And that felt much more frustrating than I think it would in other circumstances. But I was already so emotionally wrung out and exhausted that to spend time talking through my feelings in a setting that didn't feel like it was supporting me felt very frustrating. Yeah, it sounds awful. Based on your experiences, do you have any suggestions for finding that right fit? My best success has been through personal recommendations. I have had very little success picking a random person out online. Mm -hmm. To be honest, I haven't tried that in years, not since that North Carolina therapist. Everyone else has been a referral mm -hmm. from a therapist or from a friend. Yeah. There's a friend who still lives in North Carolina who we shared the same therapist in Nashville and then <laughs> shared the same therapist in North Carolina because after I had this bad experience, I went to her therapist. 
And I've mm-hmm. since referred other friends to that same North Carolina therapist because when you find someone who you think does a good job, it's like, let's share it with everybody. <laughs> right. Yeah. Personal recommendations, in my opinion, definitely the way to go. I agree with you. Otherwise, it is really hard to know. And I think I struggle with, is this not a good fit or does it take time to develop the kind of relationship Mm. where you're able to make progress in therapy? Hmm. And as somebody who doesn't like sharing my feelings with someone I don't know, that might just take longer. Mm -hmm. And so trying to figure out that balance has been something that's been a little tricky for me. Yeah. You don't want to give up too soon, but you also don't want to invest over and over in something that really isn't working. Yeah, that feels different for me because I am someone who doesn't mind sharing my feelings, sort of in an anti-Enneagram 8 mode. Mm -hmm. And so when I sit down with someone and don't feel like talking my head off at them, Mm -hmm. it's a sign to me to get out of there. Yeah, (laughs) totally. What are some of the biggest insights you've gained from therapy? I've mentioned this before on the pod. But my favorite is that I am not responsible for anyone else's feelings. That's a favorite that I have learned from you via your therapy as well. (laughs) I say it a lot. (laughs) Yep. And in terms of relationships specifically, one thing that Andrew and I learned through our years of couples therapy is that I really thrive on communication and knowing the plan. Mm -hmm. And more is more when it comes to communication (laughs) for me and knowing what's Uh going on and knowing what someone else is feeling, that I want more. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. I didn't mention in our current therapy situation, but Neil and I are still doing parenting therapy about Mm -hmm. once a month or once every other month. And that's been great. Super love it. And through that therapy... One of the insights is that my kids get to have their own relationships with people in their life and that I am not responsible for those relationships. I can help support them, but it isn't my job to make things perfect. And it's not my job to be in charge of those relationships. I love that. Another one from parenting therapy is that the key is to regulate myself and focus on my own behaviors, not to try and change my children. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, that's when I'm still learning. <laughs> As I've been making a lot of health decisions, one thing a therapist said to me was that when there's no clear right choice, there's also no clear wrong choice, which I don't know that that holds up in all situations. There probably are some clear wrong choices. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was really helpful for me to hear. And it's something I keep coming back to and just letting go of the idea that there is some perfect answer if I just thought about it hard enough. When in reality, oftentimes there are just different degrees of terrible choices. And that the first step is accepting that the choices are bad Mm -hmm. and then moving forward from there. And from my recent therapy, I started again, partly because every time I would talk about this health stuff, I would start crying. And it just made me feel like, man, I probably need to go process this somewhere because I am so sad and cry every time I start to talk about it. And then when I was there and she asked why I came to therapy and I said that, she was like, well, also, it's just a really sad, hard thing and seems pretty normal to cry and feel sad when you are thinking about it. And that has just been so helpful of just, yes, this is normal. I'm not broken. Mm -hmm. It's just hard. And 
my response is a reasonable response to the situation. I love that. And that has felt very validating. Absolutely. That wraps up our discussion about therapy. Listeners, we'd love to hear if you have any insights to share with us from your own experiences with therapy. Let's end as we always do by sharing something we've been eating lately. I recently made a hash brown casserole, which probably sounds like a repeat because you just (laughs) shared a hash brown casserole last episode. I was inspired by your recipe, but when I looked at it, it had a lot of eggs. Mm -hmm. What I really wanted was the cheesy situation. So Mm -hmm. I found a recipe that was just sour cream. I made my own cream of mushroom soup Mm -hmm. substitute with just butter, flour, milk, and broth. So just a really thick, the same consistency. But those soups are not my favorite. Yeah. And I'm sure they're fine, but something about them doesn't work for me. Yeah, their texture is very (laughs) Halloween-y. Very gloopy. Yeah. (laughs) So this was great to find a substitute for that. And tons of cheese, sour cream, all of the things. It was exactly what I wanted. I felt like I needed something really hearty and filling. Neil is eating dairy again, and I loved it. Sounds great. What have you been eating? I recently tried a new banana cupcake recipe. These are from Sally's Baking Addiction, her banana cupcakes with cinnamon cream cheese frosting. I did not make the frosting. I kept telling my children that I was going to and not getting it together to get out the big mixer. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was going to do it, they had eaten practically all the cupcakes, which basically (laughs) were muffins at that point. Right. And they were a big hit. I have made banana cupcakes before from another recipe, and this one was better. That other recipe that I was using was very buttery, Mm. and so the cupcakes were almost greasy. Mm. But these were not like this. Okay. It was great. I have not tried before to take my banana bread recipe and make muffins because it feels like it's going to be too dense. So Mm -hmm. this felt like it was a good in-between. Yeah. And I'm also very intrigued by the cinnamon cream cheese frosting. Mm -hmm. Usually just go with a straight cream cheese, but it sounds really delicious. Yeah. Very fall appropriate with the cinnamon. Mm -hmm. That's all for this episode of Friendlier. It's been great talking with you, Sarah, and with all of you listeners. You can find out more about everything we talked about today, including what we're reading and eating, in the show notes on our website, friendlierpodcast.com. You can also leave us a comment there or on Instagram at friendlierpodcast or email us friendlierpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, may your books be engaging, your food delicious, and your conversations friendly.